the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. How you approach revelation, how you interpret it, how you understand it, these are questions that are crucial if we are to spend any length of time in Revelation. And so we are doing our best to answer those questions from God's Word, here today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Welcome to the program. Coming to you from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, we invite you to spend time with us today as we close the week out with another look at our introductory look to the book of Revelation. Here's Pastor Gary now with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Things that must shortly take place, for the time is near. So that means we should ask the book of Revelation questions like this. What did these figures of speech mean to the first century reader? When these churches in Asia Minor read these words, these figures of speech, how did they understand them? And how were these figures of speech fulfilled in their lifetime before we figure out how they will be fulfilled in our lifetime. Now, you and I, as conservative Christians, politically, believe in the doctrine of original intent when it comes to the Constitution. We only want judges on the federal bench who will interpret the Constitution according to the original intent of those who wrote the Constitution and not judges who will make the Constitution say whatever they want it to say. Well, the doctrine of original intent does not only apply to our Constitution, it applies to any historical document. The only way to honestly understand any document out of past history is to understand it according to the original intent of those who wrote it and those who received it. And what is the original intent of John, the author of Revelation? I'm going to write to you about things that will shortly take place because the time is near. Now, that view excludes certain other views. I have a commentary by a famous theologian on the book of Revelation, who I will not mention because I don't want you to ignore his other wonderful writings. But this one is absolutely useless because it is exclusively concerned with the distant future. It has nothing to say about the first century, only a distant future. Second, there is the idea that the book of Revelation does not deal with historical facts, but only with ideas and principles. Some say, don't go to the book of Revelation to study history. You go to it to study ideals and philosophy. Well, that's not what John says. He says, I'm going to tell you about things, historical things, that are shortly going to take place. 
Well, you, then you have the view of the Puritans like Matthew Henry in the 17th century that say that Revelation presents us with a detailed outline of the entire course of the church history from the first century to the present. In Puritan commentaries, you'll read things on the book of Revelation that you can find the, the dates of, of such empires as the Byzantine Empire. You can find the prophesied date of the fall of, the Roman, of Roman Catholicism and the fall of Islam, etc., etc. It, it actually gets funny after a while. But that is not what the first three verses of Revelation say. It is not about a chronology of history. It is about the things that will shortly take place in the lifetime of the people who received this letter in the first century. Now, that means we should learn something about the historical situation of those seven churches in Asia Minor that received this prophetic epistle in Revelations, chapter 2 and 3. So here are just three things. I could tell you a great deal about the historical context of these seven verses of the first century, but let me just tell you three things. But please remember these. They'll be important for the future. Number one, the first century was a time of vast and rapid expansion of Christianity. In one century, Christianity grew from Scotland to China. There were over a million Christians in the Roman Empire by the end of the first century. So the first thing to remember is that in the first century, there was a time of vast and rapid expansion of Christianity. Second, as Christianity expanded... In the midst, it expanded, it expanded in the midst of popular Caesar cults. There were cults all over the Roman Empire, worshiping the Caesars, declaring the Caesars to be gods. Then thirdly, after 70 AD and the fall of Jerusalem, there were some 200 years of 10 distinct waves of severe, bloody, fierce, growing persecution of Christians by the Roman Empire. So please remember these three historical situations. Now, when was the book of Revelation written? Well, if you look at many of the older commentaries that came out in the early and mid-20th century, they will tell you that the book of Revelation was written toward the very end of the first century, possibly in the 90s, when John the Apostle was an old man. In the new commentaries on the book, you see that the older view refuted, going back to an even older view, that the book of Revelation, along with the rest of the Bible, was completed before A.D. 70. And the best book on the subject, I believe, is a book called Before Jerusalem Fail by Kenneth Gentry. Now, let me give you some reasons from the book of Revelation itself as to why we should believe the book was written before 70 A.D. Now, this is not me. Please understand, this is not me imposing my view on the book. This is the book itself telling us when it was written. Here are the reasons for believing that the book of Revelation was written just prior to A.D. 70. Number one. 
There are many prophetic allusions to the fall of Jerusalem in the first 11 chapters. In the first 11 chapters, there are several predictions and allusions to Old Testament prophecies about the fall of Jerusalem. That, of course, tells you that the Jerusalem had not fallen yet. Second, look at chapter 11, verse 1. This is a clincher as far as I'm concerned. Revelation 11.1. 1. And there was given me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. So there John is instructed to measure the temple. Well, what does that tell you? That tells you that the temple is still standing at this point. It had not yet been destroyed. And the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. Now, it is chapter 17, verse 10, that identifies the time of the writing of the book of Revelation as during the reign of Nero, the sixth emperor of Rome. Let's start in verse 9 of Revelation 17. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and there are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. When he comes, he must remain a little while. So here you have an identification of Nero as the sixth emperor over Rome. He reigned in the early 50s to the late 60s, just before the fall of Rome. The previous Caesars before Nero were Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar, Tiberius Caesar, Caligula Caesar, Claudius Caesar, and then Nero, who reigned from approximately 54 to 68 AD. Now, also the name of the person who ruled over the seven hills of Rome had a numerical value of 666. We see this in chapter 13, verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, that is, the great political beast, the Roman Empire, who sits over these seven hills ruled by this king. Four, the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Now, that is the numerical value of the head of this beast. That is, letters had numerical value in the first century, and they still do today if you use Roman numerals. Well, if you add up the numerical value of the letters in Nero's name, it amounts to 666. And by the way, in Greek as well as in English, 666 has a hissing sound to it. So in the background, there is this hissing sound of the serpent. But there are some of the reasons, these are some of the reasons why we identify that dating of the book of Revelation to be before the fall of Jerusalem. John was told to measure the temple. There are prophetic allusions to Old Testament prophecies about the fall of Jerusalem. And Revelation 17 identifies Nero in the proper order of the Caesars. And the numerical value of <clears throat> Nero's name is actually spelled out in the book. So, the book of Revelation was written during the reign of Nero Caesar, and Nero died in 68, two years before the fall of Jerusalem.
There is no reference, by the way, in the entire book of Revelation to the fall of Jerusalem having taken place. Now, if this book had been written in 90 AD, that would have been a significant thing to write about in the early church history. But it is never referred to as having taken place, and that is important as we come to some chapters later on and how we can understand them. Now, the focus of the book of Revelation is the destruction of the two great enemies of the Christian church in the first century. That is where we need to start. Arising, asking, what did this mean in the first century before we start asking, how do we apply this to our lifetime? What did the figures of speech mean to them before we start applying it to how we are to relate to them in our own lives? And the focus of the book of Revelation is twofold. It is aimed at explaining how Christ destroys or begins to destroy the two great enemies of the first century church. Remember, it's about things that shortly will take place. So whatever else it's about, it is about things that took place or began to take place in the first century. Now this is important to understand in Revelation also. After I tell you this, go home this week. I'd like you to read the book of Revelation and see if this helps you actually understand it. The book is prophesying the destruction of apostate Judaism represented by Jerusalem and the destruction of anti-Christian tyrannical Rome. Chapters 4 through 11 picture the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, guaranteeing the fall of apostate Judaism. And chapters 12 through 19 picture the destruction of Rome, guaranteeing the destruction of tyrannical anti-Christian state. Now, if we can't do this, then this book was meaningless to the first century readers. It, it, It had no meaning to them. The two great enemies of the first century church were apostate Judaism represented by Jerusalem and anti-Christian Rome. And the book of Revelation is about how Christ destroyed both of these enemies of the church in the first century. He destroyed apostate Judaism in 70 AD. And then over the next four centuries, Rome continually crumbled and fell just like the book of Romans of Revelation predicts but it began then so when you go home and you read revelation you'll see the introductory chapters in one through three then in chapters four through eleven you'll see the destruction of apostate judaism you will also see the images that are portrayed in ezekiel 2 and in chapters 12 through 19 you'll see a picture of the destruction of rome now How do we apply that today? Because I want to impress you with the fact that this is not an outdated antique book simply because we root it in history any more than our Constitution is an antique because we root it in history. The point is, what God did to apostate religion in the first century and to anti-Christian tyrannical Rome, He will also do always to those who persecute his people. 
apostate religions and anti-Christian states that persecute his people will receive the same fate to one degree or another as the fall of Jerusalem and anti-Christian tyrannical states that oppress and persecute the people of God. History is full of ruined oppressors and tyrants in both B.C. and A.D., nations and men. So when we read this book, in the light of Revelation 13, we see two beasts. One beast comes out of the sea and one beast comes from the land. The beast that comes out from the sea, of course, being the Mediterranean Sea, and we know this because the people who received this book are from Asia Minor and they are standing on the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. And what is in the sea beyond the horizon? It is Rome, Italy. So the beast from the sea represents the persecuting anti-Christian Roman Empire. And the beast from the land represents the apostate Jewish church. And as we apply it today, the beast from the sea represents all civil institutions that are built upon a principle of revolt against God and threatens God's people. And the beast of the land represents all forms of anti-Christianity that oppose the people of God. And the point is, no matter how ferocious political institutions become in their oppression, and no matter how ferocious apostate religions like Islam become in their persecution of the church, they are no real threat to us, beloved just like Jesus destroyed apostate Judaism and anti-Christian Rome, so he will be our defender and protector against any religion and any state that seeks to wipe us off the face of the map. So you see how relevant and powerful the book of Revelation becomes? The purpose of the book of Revelation is to encourage Christians under persecution to persevere in the midst of the most severe opposition. In chapters, in chapter 13, 9 and 10, we read, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined to captivity, captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Chapter 14, verse 12. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So the purpose of this book is to encourage Christians to persevere when they are under opposition or if they live in evil cultures. In other words, the book of Revelation should be an encouragement to you and to me who live in this evil culture. Chapter 1, verse 3 says that God will bless everyone that hears and believes the words of this prophecy. The book of Revelation also has its purpose to nourish hope for the future. It is to encourage these Christians of the early church. Can you imagine 200 years of 10 waves of bloody persecution? Your normal life, if you were born into or joined a Christian church then, would be that you probably would end up being burned at the stake or fed to the lions. I mean, that was their normal life. They needed hope for the future to get them past all of that. And the book of Revelation is to nourish hope for the future. 
Now, there is a phrase mentioned in verses 1 through 3 that is essential to interpreting the book of Revelation correctly, and that is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is an unveiling of Jesus Christ. It is not so much a book about history or philosophy as it is a book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, and everything in the entire book is about him He is the basis of the perseverance and the hope and the victory of the church. In chapter 1, verse 13, the book of Revelation is a revelation of his glorious perfections. Verse 17, it is a revelation of his all-sufficiency. Verse 18 is a revelation of the perfection of Christ's redemptive work. It is a revelation of the universal sovereignty and dominion of Christ. Let me give you a quick one or two sentence description of each of the chapters of the book and with this I will end chapter one the first three verses an introduction to the main principles of interpretation and an introduction to the main theme and character who is of course the glorified Christ in chapters two and three we see what Christ thinks of his church in chapter 4, we read about the sovereign rule of God over creation, including all of the enemies of his church. In chapter 5, we see Christ as the governor of history and the administrator of the covenant blessings and curses. 6, Christ is the invincible conqueror. The instrument is shown that he uses to advance his conquest. Chapter 7 presents us with the security and protection in Christ of God's entire and vast church. Chapter 8, we see the place of prayer in the plans of God and of Christ. And chapters 8 and 9, we see the call of God to battle unto victory. Chapter 10, we see that history and its control is in the hands of Christ. Chapter 11, we see how Christ uses witnessing in the plan of God. Chapter 12, we read about the triumph of Christ in Satan's vain war. Chapter 13, we see how Christ defeats the beasts of Satan. Chapter 14, we see the exaltation of Christ with his church over all of their enemies. Chapter 15, the victorious and jubilant song of Moses and of the Lamb. Chapter 16, the finality of God's judgment on the impenitent and those who refuse to believe in Jesus. Chapter 17, the rise and fall of all anti-Christian societies. Chapter 18, the suicide nature of all anti-Christian societies. Chapter 19, we see the all-conquering Christ and his total victory. Chapter 20, the glorious reign of Christ over all the earth. Chapter 21, the progression and consummation of history at the second coming of Christ. And chapter 2, 22, the glory of the city of God and the morning star who is Jesus Christ. This book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Beloved, do you want to be encouraged to persevere in difficult in a difficult culture? Then read and study the book of Revelation. Do you want to know more about Christ and love him more and be more encouraged and motivated to persevere when things are difficult? Oh, read the book of Revelation. Study it according to the principles 
It gives you to understand it. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you, our great God, for this wonderful and glorious book. Give us hungry minds, submissive wills, and humble hearts as we seek to understand this book and to live by it for Christ's sake. Amen. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 